Welcome to The Seventh Art Podcast. The Seventh Art is an independently produced video magazine about cinema with three sections. A profile on an interesting group, company, or organization in the industry, a video essay, and a long-form interview with a filmmaker set in a casual environment. Our podcast is something like a special feature with unique content that accompanies our video magazine. In this episode, we talk to Ron Mann for a profile on films we like, his distribution company. Ron tells a number of interesting stories about distribution and even his own filmmaking, and rather than cut down the interview, we've provided it here in its entirety. We will continue to use the podcast platform for more unique content, so subscribe for more. Without further ado, here's our interview with Ron Mann on the subject of films we like. You know how I became a filmmaker? I don't know if you want to record this, no. but, but I became a filmmaker because I went to um, South America, I went to Brazil with my family, and uh, I had a band when I was 15, and in the basement of the Sheridan Hotel in, um, in Rio, there was a, a bar band and I hung out down in the bar. And so I asked these guys, you know, how they got this gig, because I just thought it was fantastic. And they said, well, the Sheridan Corporation pays them, pays them to go every month to different resorts um, to play in bars. And I thought, my God, this is like <laughs> perfect. So they gave me, they told me who to contact. And I sent my, a cassette of my, of my band to the Sheridan corporation in Boston and a few months later I got back um, a letter from them saying um, Ron we really like your band and your music but you have to be 21 <laughs> to play in a bar um, and so I dropped my career as a musician and um, and became a filmmaker what was the music like in the... Was an, you know, it was another way to get girls. Yeah, I mean, yeah. being in a band, <laughs> like, the idea was to get girls when you're 15. And so, and I, I remember when I was making my Super 8 films that I impressed those girls in my junior, junior high school class, so I just continued with it. Was this before you went to... You did some film at U of T, right? Um, yeah, I went to yeah. U of T. I didn't really study film because I went to... Uh, I, I met Elia Kazan. Yeah. Um, really early on, uh, and trying to decide if I should go to film school or not, and he told me to study everything but film, yeah. and then make films, and that's what I did. So I studied the liberal arts. I went to Bennington College in Vermont, and uh, then I went. I did a year at York, um, and then I and then I graduated at U of T. But I didn't take film classes. But I did take classes with Joe Medjuk. Okay. Um, who was uh, one of my profs and became a really good friend of mine, who hired me later as a screenwriter for Ivan Reitman yeah. after Ghostbusters. And um, I also took a class with Joseph Skorecki, who just passed away. Yeah, yeah. Who, two days the, ago, three days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And which was really sad because I mean, he, he was profoundly influential on a lot of people, Adam Agoyan, um, others who took his class in, in Czech cinema. I've read, uh, I've read his fiction, like Engineer of Human Souls, but I didn't read it. He has two books on Czech cinema, right? Um, you know, I don't know his books on Czech cinema. Oh, okay. But he um, did teach? 
he d he yeah. taught a class. Yeah. Um, the one book that I loved was the jazz saxophone, I, and I remember we bonded over jazz, because at that time I was working at Sam the Recommend in the jazz department, and uh, I think that's how I bonded with Joe Manchuk as well, because he was also a jazz freak. And my first film was about jazz musicians, called Imagine the Sound. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at the backpack briefcase thing that they roped you into, and it was hilarious how like the amount of U of T education you had, especially film education, was so non-existent. Well, in 1980, when I graduated at the University of Toronto, you co couldn't major in film, yeah. and because film was the equivalent of knitting, and. Um, you know, no one was really serious about um, cinema, um, but there were cinephiles. Um, Salem Alaton was was um, became a uh, critic uh, for the uh, an entertainment writer uh, for the Globe and Mail. Um, Anna McGoyan um, and others who were just you know inspired by people like Joe Medjuk and. You know, Bartesta yeah, and K. Armitage, and you know, it was a great, um, um, you know, uh, uh, group of people um, back then. But I, I, I majored in uh, political philosophy. <laughs> that got me nowhere. <laughs> So the, the, I think the most striking thing is always is the name films we like because it kind of speaks to a distribution model that doesn't often exist where you kind of there's a kind of a curatorial element where maybe people will start going to see a film because they know who's distributed it. Well, that's interesting. You know, um, when I was uh, in the '80s, um, I was very aware of Island Alive, and I always wanted to see films from that label. Um, and I, it was the first time that I was aware of a distribution company. Now, I, I started off um, when I was in junior high distributing films. I'm just, it, this has just come back because we're talking about school. And um, I used to uh, call up uh, the studios and um, you would be able to rent 16 millimeter prints from the studios over the weekend to show at your house, and they would charge you, you know, fifty dollars. And I would say, I'm showing it in, you know, Chinatown in the basement of my house to a bunch of friends. And you'd pick up the film, and you'd have this print. This is before VHS and video on demand, and you know, um, DVD, and and uh, being able to actually, you know, have have home home viewing of, of recent releases of movies. And um, so I would take that print and then bicycle it around to different high schools in, um, in, in Toronto with a friend of mine, Seth Blumenstein, who uh, we both went to a free school. Um, he went to SEED and I went to a, a school called ACE, which was the Alternative Independent Study Program. And we would show these movies, like The Graduate, <laughs> Chinatown, um, bedtime for Bonzo. I don't, you know, just films that um, we wanted to show, and they would sell out at these at these junior high and high school auditoriums. And we had, um, and th this is how I kind of knew that I had a, like distribution um, 
DNA, which was um, what we would do is at the climax of the movie, we would shut off the projector and we'd pass a hat around and said to everyone, we can't afford to show this movie anymore until we, we have, um, we, we collect more money. <laughs> And so we'd get, like we would make not only would make thousands of dollars on this weekend, we'd just have this bonus of like you know um, the scam that we came up with, and that would put us in you know we would have pot for like the rest of the month, and then we'd go back and do it again. <laughs> and 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 you know I've had this sort of um, you know ins inspiring figure in my life, and her name was Linda Beeth, and. She had a company, and Joe Medjuk was actually part of this as well. Joe Medjuk, from, who's Ivan Reitman's executive producer now, um, they were involved in a, in a company called New Cinema in Toronto. They were, um, they, they had acquired a lot of art films, um, cool art films, like the German New Wave, like Fassbinder films, and, um, Herzog films, and um, and also they would they would distribute films by Michael Snow, and you know they were they were just it was the American independent um, cinema and European cinema. Um, I think they even represented the Janus catalog in Canada, and I would drool over their catalog when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. I became friends with Linda, and one summer, I think it was when I was 15, actually, um, there was a, um, a, on Young Street, there was a cinema called Mad Hatter. It was um, associated with the Groaning Board, which was a vegetarian uh, restaurant um, in Toronto that also showed commercials while you were eating. Um, um, like whatever ratatouille <laughs> and um, um, these guys were gonna rent a move instead of you know I was kind of like um, a DIY kind of person very early on um, and um, instead of getting a summer job what I thought was I would rent their the cinema for the summer and show just new cinema films like Linda's films and I got them to agree, and I was going to rent out this cinema. It was called, the, I remember, it was called the Looking Glass Theater. Um, but I needed money to, um, to pay for this. And uh, I asked my dad um, if he knew anybody that would sponsor us. My dad had a very successful television uh, and stereo store called Man's. Um, <laughs> which was at Steeles and Young, a kind of Bay Bloor of the North. And he was tight with this company called Motorola. Anyway, so the Motorola companies eventually said to me, yeah, we would, we'll definitely sponsor your summer school project, but we want to call the movie theater the Motorola Theater. And I refused. Um, I just, I thought, even like even back then, I'm kind of really proud of myself in a certain way that I really just didn't want any corporate um, logos. I wanted their money, but I still didn't want to average. I mean, I, I I thought what I was doing was kind of pure in terms of art, um, and so that kind of 
uh, put a stop to it. And I, I just remember Linda, when I booked all those, because I booked all those films, I remember her, her writing on, a, an, on an invoice saying, I hope you don't lose your T-shirt. Um, anyway, she understood uh, for political reasons why I wasn't going to go ahead with the cinema. But I still had this idea of being a, seen as someone that was promoting movies. Um, I mean, it was, there was a certain self-interest in it. You know, this was a way to fund my pot habit. <laughs> but at the same time, it was, what was great about it was um, uh, it was a kind of a, um, it was a, like I was a nerd. I was like a film nerd. I went to the Roxy movie theater um, religiously, and Gary Topp, who ran that, the, that cinema, um, um, the Garys, uh, who ran the Roxy, were, were counterculture programming. And I was there all, all the time. Colin Brunton, who is a producer and, and filmmaker in Toronto, was an usher there. And all the free, film freaks went. And I was one of them. And there was a time, you know, there was the period in Toronto we're talking about was like David Beard. There was no Toronto Film Festival. You had the Stratford Film Festival, which was Gerald Prattley, um, who also was the founder of the uh, Ontario Film, uh, the Ontario Cinematheque. Um, and he was really the catalyst. He was the first film critic, for example, of CBC, who that brought cinema. Uh, to Toronto, and there was a, a group of us, uh, David Beard, uh, who, ran, who had a shop called Cinebooks on Young Street on the second floor near Wellesley and Young, and I would spend my you know, time browsing you know, books uh, about cinema, and there was a cinema culture uh, that happened uh, out of the repertory uh, movie, uh, the entrepreneurs that, that uh, like Gary Topp, um, hippie entrepreneurs, uh, right down the street was CineCity. Um, interestingly, uh, I think about it, Dan Weinzweig was an usher there, or he ran it, or I'm not sure, I just saw, used to see him. I was so stoned back that I couldn't remember, but um, uh, he became a distributor for a while, and he became a model for me as well. And I think it, the, the inspiration for doing this, this is really long, but um, the inspiration for doing this has to be that you're, you love film. You know, we were just cinema junkies. And, um, and then you want to turn, and it's like anything, like you, when you have a really good drug, you want to turn your, you know, the next person, I'll just try this. <laughs> um, you're gonna love it. <laughs> And, um, and that was my, and that's and this still is the same, the, the same motivation that I've had, um, you know, sh flash forwarding to 2003, um, you know, Films We Like started. Well, that's, Films We Like has to do with the basics of, of you know, what it is that we're doing. These are sp really not, th this is a boutique, distribution company, a small distribution company. It wasn't even, it wasn't supposed to be a distribution company. It was supposed to be just helping out friends. But of, of films that, you know, um, we like, that we want other people to see. Um, 
or not getting distribution, you know, because, and that's, there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, Gary, uh, Gary Top was the, was, was somebody, like Linda Beeth and Gary Top, those two people were, um, for me, um, role models. Um, but in 2003, um, I'd helped on a movie called The Weather Underground, um, tangentially. And um, this film is by Sam, a friend, Sam Green and Bill Siegel. And they couldn't find distribution in Canada for their film. So I said, how hard could this be? And I, I actually hooked up with Gary Toth, who had, um, at the time, uh, curated a series of programs of ephemeral films or industrial films at the Bloor. Um, and I've always been in touch with Gary um, throughout the many years of just from the Roxy days to the edge. And um, thought about, and I knew nothing about distrib distribution, <laughs> but I just thought, except for what I did back with my friend Seth in, um, in high school. I wasn't about to shut off the movie though in the third reel. Anyway, um, that we 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 were really successful with with the weather underground, and then this friend of mine, Bill Banning, who runs the Roxy Cinema in San Francisco, said, "Hey, Ron, we have this movie called Rivers and Tides. It's about Andy Goldsworthy, and it made four million dollars in the U.S. And there's no Canadian distributor. How about you take it on?" So I went, "Okay." <laughs> I mean, I love the movie. It was fantastic, um, and you know, I adore Andy Goldsworthy. I mean, it's just a complete um, reaffirmation of life, his art, by, you know, by experiencing it. And, um, and then we did you know, extraordinarily well with that, releasing that film theatrically. And now we have over 120 films in our catalog. And just like that catalog of new cinemas and Linda Beats, I mean, we've kind of... I think curated specific films. I mean, the one thing we don't do is we don't have output deals. Like many of the just, and the other thing is, I mean, I have a hippie, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know attitude, which is, you know, we 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 don't want to make money. We just don't want to lose money. But um, so I I never I never had the um, ambition to like turn, you know, have a goal. And everything that I've done, even in my filmmaking, has been haphazard. Like I just, I'm, I don't do anything with a plan <laughs> because anything that I do with a plan turns out to be a disaster. So um, you just kind of let things happen. You know, Paul Bowles once said, plans make themselves. And it's like that's sort of our, been our, our um, you know, just you know, guiding principle here, and the, you know, the other thing about films we like, other than that just you know me being a, someone that is exposed to films, um, is that we have a board of advisors. You know, I would travel to film festivals because of my my filmmaking. So I'd be at Cannes, I'd be in Berlin, um, and Toronto, and I would I would see films that just deserved to be in, you know, Canadian audiences 
um, um, should see, you know, felt strongly that they should see these films. And um, we built up a gr really great group of people, advisory board. Uh, Mark Perenson uh, from Cinemascope is one of them. I mean, his taste is impeccable. Uh, Sergio Wolf, who is a programmer at Bafisi from uh, Buenos Aires. Um, it's uh, Peter Wintonic for documentaries, is a programmer at uh, IDFA. And they're, they're, again, they're like, it's a group of cinephiles. In a way, it's kind of like the band that I had when I was 15 years old, um, putting together a group of people who just are, like me, just cinema nerds. And it's a completely different world than the Atlantis's, the, sorry, the Alliances, which is owned by Goldman Sachs and is being sold. You know, um, but we're the other thing is that we've we've kind of we've turned it into though a bigger company because we now are an iTunes affiliate where some where we where we release films on the video on demand um, streaming video on demand. A platform and we have outlets that um, I mean I never imagined that we would actually be a direct iTunes affiliate um, in selling films to airlines I mean one of the great highlights for me was that it's like Uncle Boon me is, is was on um, Air Canada <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they should you know um, they should they should have like parachutes under the seats <laughs> for people who, uh, for people who um, experience that film um, high altitude. Um, they, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 but I am, I have a, there's a kind of devious pleasure <laughs> in, in, um, in, in, in seeing these art films in the strangest places and turning people onto it. Um, you know, I get a, you know, one of the, my favorite films um, is, still, is still being played, uh, La Havre, which is Aki Kurosmaki's film that I saw at Cannes. I was like, I really want this movie, I really want this movie, and, and I was so, and even, like, people were shocked that we are distributing that film and Bill Cunningham. I mean, we did Pearl Jam 20, you know, the, this, that, that TIFF, this last, uh, like what happens is success attracts success, and so we're now being um, we're on people's radar, um, and so um, but these films were and now people are actually coming to us because they like the catalog and they see what we're doing and they want to they think that we're the cool kids. <laughs> now. Can I just tell you the truth? Is I, I don't do the work. I'm like really. I get the you know. I go to film festivals, see movies, and, you know, and I get turned on by these films, and I arrange for the Canadian distribution of the films. The work is done by Michael Boyack, who is the, the principal person who does everything um, here and makes me look good. I mean, and Max Wolfond. Um, Bill Imperial, um, and we outsource Paul Zimek, Greg Rubich. And these are people who have, um, you know, we, we've, we've managed to um, 
you know, kind of figure it out because we've, we outsource. Like even DVDs that we've released, you know, we have a DVD producer that is out, out of this office. We've also partnered with a lot of American companies, a lot of micro. That's the thing, in the US you have lots of uh, micro distribution companies and you know, there's, there's small, medium, and large, right? So those small companies like Zeitgeist, for example, I mean, we're really, you know, they distributed our films like Examine Life and Brackage that I've produced, whereas um, in New Video, which distributes my films, um, like Know Your Mushrooms, um, we, we then work together on amortizing costs. So we're able to sort of figure out, well, we don't have to create two trailers for Canada. We can just universally use the same materials. And so we've, we've managed to share assets. And that's really been a kind of new development here. So, and we were working with everybody, like IFC gave us Buck, um, which made $4 million in the States, and they didn't have it, actually, <laughs> so I can say this, um, um, they had a, an arrangement with a, a large distributor here, and they, the large distributor has too many movies to release it, so they gave it to us, because we're hands-on. We're a filmmaker-friendly company, too, so we've got that reputation of just like, oh, we can talk to filmmakers and be an interface better than, you know, corporate. And also, our, and the other thing was that I set up was like royalties that were, you know, equitable, that, because I knew as a filmmaker exactly what it was that, you know, was legitimate. You know, D'Antoni, my, my mentor, Besides Gary Topp and Linda Beath was um, um, Emil D'Antonio, who was a political documentary filmmaker, and the Michael Moore of his day. And he once said to me that all distributors are liars, crooks, and thieves. <laughs> he was right. Um, I mean, on my filmmaking, um, I can't mention who it was, but on the film Compo Confidential, the distributor didn't give us a royalty report for two years. And then I said. You know, because I was like, I was just happy it was released because I was a filmmaker. And, uh, but then someone said, you know, Ron, you know, this company has made lots of money with your movie and you should like find out. So I phoned them and I said, like, where's the royalty report? And they said, well, we, we lost the royalty reports. And I went, oh, well, that's okay. Just send me all the DVDs in your catalog. I'll be fine. The next day I got all these like DVDs and. Oh my God, I'm like so stupid. Anyway, um, this happens a lot, you know. Um, so many companies that, you know, you just, they take your film and they say goodbye. And I wasn't going to be like that. So, I mean, that, you know, there's a certain ethics <laughs> we had to like, like from day one, you know, what is, wh who are we? Like, why are we doing this? And... You know, and I still question, <laughs> question it, but, it, you know, it, it's easy to get um, tripped up by, oh, well, this film will make you, like, a lot of money, and that that's not necessarily appealing to me. It was just, you know, to my <laughs> detriment. But, you know, it's just, I, 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 you know, we're distributing, you know, uh, film 
that made $300 at the box office, you know, which just, but I'm happy about it, you know. Um, uh, Thumbs, Tom Anderson's film, uh, Get Out of Your Car, it was like 30 minutes long. I thought I was buying an art piece. I mean, I love that film. It's so good. It's like, it was like the, for me, it was like the best film I had seen at TIFF that year. It was 30 minutes long. I th you know, we brought it into the light box. By the way, the light box has been a really, like, the, the Toronto Festival has been really supportive, and Jesse Wente and Noah Cowan, and, you know, have always been really supportive, and it's been a really great um, relationship. The same thing with Stacey Donan at, uh, at the Royal. I mean, these are the, the new generation of Gary Topps and Dan Weinswigs and Linda Beats that are out there that are really kind of, carrying forward this with what I would call film culture or cinema culture in, in Canada. And the Mark Perrinsons who are putting out, you know, incredible, you know, uh, magazines and, you know, just like, and the, the, the issue is that there's so much and there's only, you know, this is all we can do in terms of our, you know, our limited resources. I mean, we are kind of small. There's only so much time in the day. So it's my, you know, and you know, I still have to make movies <laughs> now and then. You know, I'm producing movies and, you know, but I'm, I'm right now developing a film about Robert Altman. So it's like, I'm, you know, I gotta keep, you know, I gotta keep my own, you know, things. I gotta, balancing everything is kind of tough. Is the reverse also interesting, you get to see how the films that you, you like, what market there is for them in Canada. Is it ever interesting to see what your feelings, how they are mirrored by the uh, reception? Well, okay, so um, I play poker every like two weeks with these friends over the last like 20 years, and they're really great people. And one of the guys, Michael Mendelssohn, who actually, I think he was in the, he was a minister for the NDP <laughs> with Bob Ray. A finance minister. Uh, well, actually, Greg, Greg Sabera <laughs> plays at this uh, poker game. Uh, anyway, um, a cool group of people. Uh, Michael once said to me, um, you know, life can be defined in terms of poker. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's kind of true in, in a way. Like, you um, are gambling. Um, and there's risk taking, and um, I have no idea who you know if anybody is going to be interested in this movie or sees the movie that I see, or um, we've we can do the best to represent the filmmaker. That's really why. Um, we take it on because we feel like we can be responsible and not just put at put your ad in put put it in a theater and that's the end of it. Like we we try to actually create a a kind of different level of um, excitement around the the film using social media, for example, um, and groups targeting. You know, like all, you know, all all good distributors. You know, just trying to get the audience in to see this movie, um, and not 
be so focused on the first weekend, which is unfortunately the the kind of um, the, the actual game itself. But it's a it's a, it's a complete risk because there's an investment of time and money to release a movie. In my case, I'm I kind of don't you know there's no rule of thumb that I've learned. Um, it's you know some films. How, why did Bill Cunningham, for example, Bill Cunningham New York, which was a documentary about the street fashion photographer Bill Cunningham uh, for the, the New York Times. Why did that movie <laughs> become a phenomena? You know, where it in Canada has made um, oh I don't know three four hundred thousand um, dollars theatrically. Um, I, I don't I don't know why Mid-August Lunch did that well, or why La Havre is doing that well, and why you know some other movies aren't. Um, and somehow it has to do with um, you know it's kind of like the way a card turns over. You know sometimes you're given you're holding really great cards. Um, but then somebody else has better cards, you know. <laughs> I don't know if this metaphor is going to really stretch throughout this, through this answer, but the, um, the, the thing is, good cards are good cards. That's what Chris Brett, another player, once said to me. Um, you know, you have to go in with what you, you just feel, you know, you, you, I mean, you know, you have to, have to be responsible to the filmmaker and the producers. I mean, ultimately, and treat the film the way I would want to be, or release a movie in, in the best, best you can with the resources that you have. Um, Telefilm Canada helps Canadian films. We haven't done many Canadian films, but we've, you know, there was a movie called Beauty Day, and I love this movie, and audiences didn't show up to it. I thought it was like the best Canadian documentary I'd seen in years. And Jay Cheel was, you know, why isn't he part of the Canada's top ten this year? I mean, it's just like, doesn't make any sense to me. You know, Judd Apatow thinks he's brilliant. But, you know, the audiences didn't respond to it here. Um, but so I, I just don't, I just don't, and even, you know, I don't really care. I guess that's what it is. That's what makes me so dangerous. I really don't care. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I really, you know, and um, so it doesn't make money, whereas people will collapse. You know, and I, and I feel for people who, like, also do things for the wrong motive. Like, why was so much money spent on, um, um, you know, some of these movies that should never have score? You know, like, what? You know, um, and so it's, it's when you have the ambition to like be commercial. It's and you and and it's a kind of um, dream, fantasy, you know. And um, that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I for anyway. That's not my. It's just like a, a. That's not what I do. Other people do it, and you know. And there's lots of casualties for distributors around. 
I mean, if you look at the history of just just distribution, you'll see like all of you know the carnage you know, on the roads as you like go down that road. It's just brutal, you know. And um, but I'm I'm you know when you're when you don't have high expectations, you know it's that's. Someone told me, Sarah Driver actually, who is a filmmaker, and we're releasing her box set. She's the last DVD that we're going to do, by the way, um, because it's over <laughs> with DVDs, mostly because there's no stores anymore. I went to Indigo the other day, and I was looking for, I was wanted to buy Dr. Strangelove. I just had this crazy idea that it would still be there. And uh, no, there was just like this like bin <laughs> with like two dollars. Or actually, there was. I think the sign said, "Just take them." <laughs> I was going to make a movie for Lyft. Uh, there was a uh, 30th anniversary of Lyft uh, members. I was a um, uh, asked to do a, a film, and I came up with a movie, and it was just taking place at a funeral, and it was a procession, and we're at the um, the, the burial site and the, the last shot is you pull back and the headstone is like DVDs and you pull back further there's VHS and you pull back further there's like three quarter inch it's like dead media um, it's now all video on demand and that was the holy grail uh, back in the early 90s when I started with working with Criterion um, uh, doing uh, interactive media and uh, I mean basically the problem back then was storage space on CD-ROMs but truthfully my film Poetry in Motion was the first one of the first films to be digitized onto uh, as, a, as a digital movie Hard Day's Night was a full feature-length film our, our film was cut up and and uh, to be used along with text, but back then it was 10 frames. Um, you know, another person that inspired me was Bob Stein, who started uh, Criterion with uh, Peter Becker and uh, Jonathan Terrell. Um, it was a joint venture with the Janus catalog, and I helped package those laser discs of uh, King Kong and uh, Citizen Kane in 1985 and Bob Stein's living room on Manning Avenue in Los Angeles. And that was, and the Criterion itself was a company that really, the legacy of DVD is what they produced on Laserdisc, the letterboxing, for example, and the commentaries, which are now standard. So you mentioned like the, the carnage of distribution, but you also mentioned wanting to have good relationships with directors, and I'm wondering if um, it's a p point of pride when you get to continually work with the same director? Yeah. <laughs> um, who have... I mean, we have so many movies. I mean, you think of... Well, one that recently came to mind is that I'm... Oh, Jean... 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 Um, you know, adore his work, and so if I can afford his movies, some movies I couldn't afford, but um, The World, um, 24 City, um, 
and uh, Wish I Knew uh, are three films um, that we distribute. Um, and it's, for me, he's one of the great contemporary um, filmmakers. Um, Yorgos Lathamos, for example, Dogtooth. We have uh, Dogtooth and uh, Alps, uh, which we're releasing, as well as Attenberg, which was produced by Ra Rachel Athena Tsongari. Um, this is also a fantastic film. I can't wait to see it. Sundance L, yeah, yeah. which was written by um, uh, the same uh, screenwriter as uh, uh, Dogtooth and Alps. So I'm, uh, you know, so there's this whole Greek, uh, you know, cinema uh, collective that I'm, you know, championing. Um, and there's other, um, you know, films that I, you know, just, I mean, I would, I mean, I would just, I, I, that was the inspiration from the zeitgeist uh, started by supporting filmmakers and their careers. Um, and uh, so that, that is one of our, you know, uh, provided that we like the movie, you know, a lot of it is, I mean, some, you know, Tom, you know, An Tom Anderson, I mean, we have two of his films. Um, but uh, a lot of it is how the film speaks to me. Like, um, there's some filmmakers that I've seen, like, two or three of their films, subsequent films that we've, and I wasn't, I really wasn't impressed that much by it. Um, so, in principle, it would be great to continue the relationship because, you know, all of these filmmakers that we've, you know, you know it's a personal relationship that you develop with the filmmaker. Um, you know, I'm excited about Marie Lozier's ballad of uh, uh, Genesis and Lady J, for example. I mean, Marie's a fantastic filmmaker, and her film won the Teddy Award at uh, Berlin and a number of other international awards. It's about, you know, so, uh, uh, the relationship between uh, Psychic TV's uh, Genesis um, and uh, and his partner uh, Lady J, and, um, among among other things. Um, but working with Marie is is, is going to be great. Um, we're releasing um, Sleeping Sickness. Um, Marina Abramovich, which is going to be the opening night film at uh, the Real Artist Festival. It's also at Sundance. I mean, I saw that film and I just thought this was incredible. I mean, I was a big, big fan. Um, we have a lot of films about music um, and art, you know, so like there's, they're kind of, um, you know, this kind of, in, like there is these kind of, I don't think of it that way in terms of like, oh, you know, um, we'll only pick up these kinds of movies, or this director. Like, I don't really, like I, like I said, we don't have a plan here. <laughs> but um, there are films that just sort of speak to me because, like, you know, I'm pure, you know I, when you walk into a bookstore, it's hard, for, when I walk into a bookstore, it's like hard, <laughs> if you can find a bookstore anymore. But, I mean, you know, the, the idea, is, the, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, um, it's hard to pull me out of bookstores or record stores because I'm like curious. You know, I just like have this, I don't know what it is about me. I was just like, 
interested in so many different things. Um, <laughs> this is a real problem, <laughs> especially if you travel with me. Um, but, you know, I just, I have a real, it, it's, so that's why my selection of films are, you know, may not make any sense. They're, they're, it's eclectic, it's an eccentric, and it's driven by a kind of history, you know, a kind of knowledge of uh, cinema, of growing up being a cinephile. <clears throat> you know, if you read the hundred, you know, this fantastic book that came out uh, a year ago of a hundred, of a new cinema, of uh, just programmers that were picking, you know, directors to, to, uh, to watch. Um, and Pierce Handling, a number of other uh, uh, programmers that had, had uh, contributed to the, to the book. And uh, if, but if it was the average person reading it, it would just be like, who, what? Or if you pick up Cinemascope, it's like, what are these movies? That's what it is. It's sort of like, you know, it's, it's a refined sort of sensibility, you know. Um, and it's okay. You know, some people like to drink Jason Triggs. <laughs> some people, <laughs> some people, you know, and, you know, uh, you know might want to drink a fine wine from the Okanagan, you know, like, so um, it's, it's just a, um, it's a sensibility that I've cultivated and like the, in a, in a culture that, and I kind of love, I mean, all these people that I'm, you know, I see at film festivals have become like really great friends and um, and curators and programmers and film festival people and it's just, and critics and, you know. The one thing is, to, is that, um, you know, I guess what I've learned is that it is rarefied. It's not, like, there, there's, I don't know how many people, let's say, there's the same 5,000 people um, who go to these film festivals the cinema culture. It's, it's really not that big. Um, and you know about fanatics is that you just think that, oh my God, you know, um, you think that everybody knows about uh, a pitch upon uh, or Uncle Boomy. And, and the truth is they don't. Um, and it's kind of like, I mean, my mission is to really get people, is to break down the gap between cinema culture and mainstream filmmaking, so uh, so that when on a Saturday night, you know, audiences have a choice, they actually will consider, um, you know, an art film or a foreign film or a documentary, and it is breaking down. I mean, I've seen just being a documentary filmmaker for so many years. In the early '80s, there were only 12 theatrical uh, releases of documentaries, mine included. And 2012, sorry, 11, there were at least 50, 60 uh, documentaries being released, and they were good. They were the quality of these movies were fantastic um, documentaries. So um, there's um, there's a change in term or a shift that's happening in terms of taste of audiences 
or, or audiences are getting a little tired of the formulaic movies that are, that are um, you know, genre-driven that, and, uh, or, you know, that are comic book movies in the sense that they're, you know, they're, they're um, not in, you know, I shouldn't use comic books because I'm highly respectful of <laughs> the graphic arts medium. So, um, but I would say um, that they're, they're um, movies that have been designed to sell cheap toys um, <laughs> and lunch pails, you know, um, that's, that's what movies have become, in, in, in mainstream movies have become. Um, they're about the ancillary rights. It's not even about the movie, it's about, you know, the, the, to you know, the um, toys that they sell. And the, um, <clears throat> and the, you know, and the, you know, whatever, the hamburger franchise tie-ins. I, um, I think audiences have been, have, are like oh, really smart and don't want to be condescended to and uh, want alternative, you know, films that relate to their lives. One thing about Hollywood movies is that they're referential to other Hollywood movies as opposed to real life. This is why films, but you know, you have mainstream films all of a sudden that are fantastic. Like last year's Social Network, which was, you know, suddenly, wait, where, you know, these are, it's almost like the 70s where, you know, films were actually um, about people, <laughs> you know, today. Um, so my, my um, you know, my, the, the, my inspiration for those movies are, you know, from <clears throat> the, the, the flip side is the documentaries, the independent films that mirror the kind of changes that happen in the American film movement from John Cassavetes forward. Um, you know, we did a whole series of films, of mumblecore films, you know, which was, you know, I thought, you know, this is the contemporary, you know, scene. And, um, Andrew Bajowski's films and others um, are, are, you know, are, are basically, you know, the early Scorsese's, early Brian De Palma's, early, you know, whatever, you know, the, and, um, you know, have a lot, they're using digital cameras and the technology of the time and telling stories of their, of their, of their, of their experience and, um, and those, those films, to me, are the films that I, you know, I think are more refreshing. Documentaries, though, have really been in terms radically changed. And festivals like Hot Dogs, um, I mean, people are tired, like, need, crave inf information. They want to know what's happening, and they need, and the long-form documentary allows them to to sort of learn about, um, you know, that's something longer than a soundbite. And that's become a, um, you know, and now commercial, viab viably commercial, theatrically, uh, documentaries to be released theatrically. Um, Paul Goodman, uh, Changed My Life, for example, is a fantastic documentary about one of my heroes, um, social thing. It's very relevant to the Occupy Wall Street movement and, 
um, is inspiring. And people want to be inspired. Whereas, so this is all, you know, against, you know, the, the, the backdrop of the, the, you know, the studio releases, which have, by the way, gotten more and more expensive. And a lot of those filmmakers can't, a lot of, whether it's Ivan Reitman or John Landis or whoever, are having difficulty in getting their films made. And it's interesting where you have now films like crazy made for, what, $250,000, you know, and it's a theatrical release. And it's about the, you know, this is all about saying that the audience is smart enough and makes the decision ultimately about the success of a movie, you know. Um, but a movie is not, the meat, the, the um, you know, we're in this culture where like money dictates, you know, what has value. You know, do I give a fuck what you know, a movie makes on the at a box office weekend? No. You know, do I care what Mark Parenson thinks about it? Or, you know, if he writes about a movie? Yeah, I do, actually. You know, I, so the respect that I have is a little twisted. I really don't give a shit about the weekend box office. I think it's like insane. It's insane that obsession with like, oh, well, this movie made so much money. What does that mean? Do you think the, <laughs> that the VOD is kind of changing how people distinguish between a mainstream movie and a, and a more independent one? Because no, vi on. video on demand is basically a, um, a distribution outlet uh, in the same way the blockbuster uh, brick and mortar stores were a distribution outlet for um, their containers. You know, we've always had VHS, like there's the film, and then it went on magnetic tape, and you had home viewing with VHS, and then you had it on, I mean, you had a digital with Laserdisc, which was still, you know, um, at the time the highest quality, and then you had DVD. Um, but the content itself, is now moved from a container into now files. I made a joke recently that it shouldn't be called a filmmaker, it should be called a file maker. Um, because we're, we're creating our digital files. And we've experienced this revolution. Everything can be defined in terms of the, rev the techno technological revolution that happened in terms of bits and bytes. So this digital revolution from shooting, like, you know, you go to a, uh, cinema, you're not going to see film. You're not going to see celluloid. That's, you're going to see that at the Cinematheques, and but that it's the end. Um, so, in fact, even the digital DC, you know, now you have DCP, which is basically the uh, you know uh, film being released on a freaking hard drive, um, and. Uh, you know, even that itself will be just like beamed to cinemas to avoid the cost of even the hard drive. So it's, um, it's sad um, in a certain way. It's great, like, you know, Pearl Jam 20, we released on what, in uh, 85 theaters or whatever, it was a Blu-ray projection at Cineplex. And it was bizarre to me, so that you would, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm I, I have to admit, I am nostalgic for cellular. I mean, 
not nostalgic for nitrate, but I mean nitrate, it was beautiful. I mean, if anybody had seen nitrate, they would, they would just be appalled at like black and white, because black and white now, it's not even on black and white, it's on color stock. And now color stock is even, it's gone. So it's like, you know, you're, you know, it's all digital and it's just, and people are used to it. People don't, you know, it's just this mediocrity, or I don't know, the, this, a striving for mediocrity that wins out in the end. And, uh, but I mean, like I said, but I'm not, the, I'm, that's this is the industry. I'm ne I was never in the industry. I'm not part of the industry. I don't make films like shoes. I don't distribute films like shoes. They, the industry itself is geared around how much you know, they, the money they can make, whether it's on, you know, at the popcorn stand or at the, you know, on the level of, you know, on the exhibition side, how, how they can maximize their profits for their corporate investors, which is, um, look at who owns these studios anyway. I mean, then you get your answer about why they're you know, why all these films are, are, are not filmmaker-driven. They're accountant. They're driven by accountants. So that's why I'm, my sensibility has to do with, like, the people who, the filmmakers, the filmmakers who, and Europeans, European cinema, which is a, it's just a very different way of um, experiencing what's the notion of cinema, or questioning the notion of cinema. That's the thing. It's why these movies, all of them in one way or another, question the idea of what cinema is. And cinema itself is an art, and art evolves. And that's why sometimes it takes a while to catch up. But you have people like, you know, the cinemascopes that are able to define or redefine what cinema is for audiences and translate it. I'm just here to echo what's already exists, like in terms of distribution. That's all I'm doing, is making sure that audiences have the opportunity to see these movies in a proper context. It's a bit subversive in the in in you know in that you know you kind of in a multiplex and you have a choice of whether you want to see. Um, Whatever, dog tooth versus <laughs> Tintin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like Tintin. I thought it was okay. I like Snowy. You mentioned uh, the DVD was done, <laughs> but are you, are you done with Blu-ray or? Well, look, um, the people are going to be buying films on video on demand, and um, you know I'm. The last DVD I got was um, uh, Derek Jarman's box set, <laughs> you know, which is, you know, um, you know, I'm sure that Zeitgeist sold what a hundred copies, of it, you know, for other you know freaks like me, but you know, it's I will I believe that um, it's we're at a um, um, that moment in history where the delivery of 
um, movies are going to be digital and you know like turning on a tap and you have so many other outlets you have outlets it's easy iTunes Amazon Sony PlayStation Microsoft whatever you know if there's I think you're gonna have your own channels you're gonna have widgets on your television you're just gonna choose you know your films we like you know icon you know app that will allow you to see the catalog of films we like and it will be just direct in terms of not even getting rid of even the an intermediary a lot of it is in terms you know the reason why you have these sort of larger groups is in terms of it's um, they're visible and they're omnipotent and so that's why you go to iTunes and, and Netflix you know but other but filmmakers will I'm trying to get rid of the distributor. That's what I think we need to do. I'm a middle. I'm a middle person. Wouldn't it be great to have direct access to these movies directly? Why do you need a distributor? Why do you need you know someone in between the filmmaker and the and the audience? You don't. And video on demand allows that to happen, which is a great signal for young filmmakers where there was always these barriers. So the internet allows to just destroy those barriers that we used to have in terms of like the gatekeepers or whatever. We went straight from cur curatorial to cutting it in the middleman. Well, I, I think it's okay to, you need to be informed because of the sludge that's out there. Like in comic books, you know, you had these great underground comic books, but then there was like this second wave of underground comic books and there was just mass consumer confusion because a lot of these comics were really bad. And so you needed a curatorial, so you needed a finding aid, you needed, or, or a, someone to tell you, this is cool, watch this. And I think that's going, those filters, and I think you still need, no matter what, I think filters are important. You have filters by the cinema culture, the, the, the critics the, that, that uh, I think are, are still valuable in terms of its, um, you know, the uh, digital culture that we're in. Um, and you do need curators, I mean, in the sense that we're, we're curators of, of specific, you know, specific films. So um, even though I think you can have a direct, um, like song, Song bids, which for music, which is a digital um, outlet <clears throat> that allows bands to put their music on line and uh, have for bookers to directly book the band, yeah. and cutting out the middle person. <clears throat> I still think you need the curatorial aspect, and so you need someone um, in such a theoretical site to actually cut out the sludge because ultimately um, there's just too much confusion. Which is one of the reasons why I'm producing a, a show called This Week on Movies with Richard Krauss, which is um, to let people know some of the movies that are released on iTunes, for example. Yeah. That not just films we like, films. Um, yes. <laughs> was it? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, one of the shows. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so it just uh, it wasn't too impartial. I guess I should have been. Um, but to uh, 
to let people know that there is, well, to at least have some kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, there, there, there's Rotten Tomatoes and other, um, you know, sites people go to that are online on iTunes. But it's, I think it's important to have a curatorial aspect or it's just it becomes too confusing <clears throat> to the average person.